and welcome to NSDA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and with me today is Dennis Roche. He's co-founder of a unique service called Burbio. It's actually a data service that uh, tracks school and community life. So, Dennis, welcome back to NSDA, the bus stop. Thanks, Kurt. Excited to be here. Hey, you were on previously, but I think it'd be good for you to go over, you know, your background as well as the company background to kind of set a framework for our discussion today. So Burbio is a community uh, and school a data service. We measure community life. When COVID hit, what we had, what we, our business was, was we have 200,000 school, government, library, and community calendars from across the country. And we know everything that's going on in communities. Our clients for that information were primarily consumer-facing clients, like media companies, real estate firms, who would use the information to inform their consumers. When COVID hit, we added a business intelligence service to be able to figure out what was going on in schools and communities because it was so uncertain around COVID. And in particular, schools, given the sheer size with 50 million K-12 public school students and as many parents we built a service to measure whether schools uh, were open and what type of learning. So that's what we added, and we've been working with corporations, consulting firms, the federal government uh, over the last year. Yeah, and, and really where I was introduced to the service was the Burbio School Tracker, which has disseminated such great information over the course of the, the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit uh, about that for folks who may not be familiar with it? So when we, when COVID hit, like everyone, we had to re- reevaluate what we were doing and who our customers were and, and what our business was going to be. And when we looked at our expertise in schools, public schools, we wanted to build something that would replicate economic activity. And that was our first, so our first set of clients were actually kind of investors, for lack of a better term, people who were interested in energy prices. They were trying to figure out mobility, things like that. So we built this, we built that the tracker trying to measure at the county level. We wanted to be accurate at the county level across the country as to whether schools were open. And our original clients for it were trying to figure out whether people were going to get in their cars and drive, whether people were going to shop and buy things. And then we started adding more and more suppliers essentially to the K through 12 industry uh, over time for that service because we what we built was nationally representative and also locally representative. So we, we actually examine, we, we have a couple of different ways we do it, but we spend a lot of time actually physically researching and examining school websites, school announcements, Facebook posts, every way in which a school communicates to determine whether a school is open, what the policy is, why it's open, how they're managing it. So we were able to not just get the literal information about whether schools are open and project, but also be able to kind of figure out what was going on behind the scenes as to what the thinking was behind the various policies. Yeah, and uh, like I said, it's been a great source of information, at least from my standpoint, on trends you know around the country. Um, maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into that. What, what do you see in terms of? And, and this uh, was an area that we were thought we were going to follow last school year, and of course we did. We didn't know that we were going to follow it as much or even at all this school year, and we we once again find out that we are doing that. So, Dennis, what do you see in terms of closing? Uh, school closings uh, for in-class learning and, you know, virtual options for schools and school districts this year? So 
a lot of it is very, very, it gets managed different. It gets managed differently in different regions and different states. So what we saw after a very rocky last year, last year, where you had a lot of virtual early in the year, and then it went back to heavily virtual a lot over the winter. And then finally, by the end, most schools were offering in-person learning, at least if hybrid, if not traditional. Every school wants to open traditionally this year. And we saw that. There's a lot of emotive, a lot of incentive behind it, a lot of effort behind it. But the real question becomes then, how do you handle COVID mitigation to keep us keep the schools open? And these are environments where a COVID case in a classroom or on a bus is going to be treated very, very seriously. So there's different strategies for keeping uh, the classrooms open that different people were doing. And I think the major issue that we saw, the major risk that we see is the, the more students who, who show up to class and staff who have COVID, you've got issues around not just sending them home to quarantine, but also the people who were exposed to them. So we actually see that it's going to be kind of a rocky year. What you're going to see less of this year is entire districts closing, which you saw a lot of last year. You know, Cincinnati closed during the winter last year for a bunch of bunch of weeks because of COVID, and they all went home and did the whole thing virtual. You'll see less of that, but what you'll see is elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools close. You'll you'll also see individual classrooms go virtual for a week or two at a time. So at some point, what happens is the critical mass of quarantines hits that makes it difficult for a school to stay open. We saw a bit. We've seen a bit of that to date. We expect to see more of that over the winter, and that's going to be the challenge as to what the different strategies are to keep schools open. So last year, I don't even think we talked about Delta variant. You know, we we're talking about COVID-19 in general. Do you see any differences? Because now largely the conversation is around the Delta variant, which is a variant of the COVID-19 you know, virus. But is, is there you know, any difference that you see and also, I guess I'm going to overlay in that question how folks are handling it. Yeah, so so I'll step back. So yes, Delta is a lot more transis- transmissible. Let me paint a picture as to what happened last year when things were supposedly normal. You had school districts that were completely open. Well, as many of your listeners know, in mo- in many districts, you had 20, 30, 40, and in cities, sometimes 60% of the students not going into the classroom. What does that mean? It means they were the people who showed up, even when it was a school that was offering school every day, they were more spaced out. And this matters because because of quarantine rules and COVID and transmissibility. So last year, even when schools were open every day and about 70% were by the end, you had a lot of people not showing up. So this year, for the schools that were open every day, you have 95 to 98% of the students are attending. So not only are they open more, but there's a lot more crowds. So that's going to happen. And so COVID, apples to apples, even if COVID was just behaving like it did last year, you'd have issues around, hey, there's a lot more kids in the classroom. They're not spread out as much. They're on the buses. It's more crowded. What's going to happen? Then you throw on Delta. And what we're seeing is that it is where Delta is spreading. And COVID, last year, the way we observed it is COVID was seasonal, meaning it's in the Sun Belt first and it'll come up a little in the winter in the Midwest and the Northeast is when it'll spread faster. But apples to apples, we're seeing reports that schools are catching more uh, students and even staff with COVID now 
than they did during entire months or even semesters of last year. So Delta spreads much more quickly. And it's, you know, it's not COVID in and of itself is not particularly dangerous to children in terms of what happens to them, but they don't, but, but the way the system works is you don't want them to spread it. If, if people are vaccinated right now, it's not as dangerous, but, but it's a whole environment of if you've got a, a, something spreading more quickly, you're going to have this whole issue of quarantines. So it's absolutely spreading more quickly. And as you know, from listening to the CDC and the FDA, you've got situations where people who are vaccinated can still get COVID. And so that's kind of the, the uncertainty around it with Delta is just the speed with which it can spread, which we're seeing in, the, in particularly in the Sun Belt and a little bit in parts of the Midwest already this year. So are, you know, using that, utilizing that information, are there strategies that, you know, school districts can use or just uh, communities can use to help control outbreaks? And, and then what is the thought pattern if somebody does contract, you know, COVID, Delta variant, you know, w- what's the protocol for return to school? So I guess there's a couple of yeah. questions for you, Dennis. Yeah. So the way we've, uh, we've looked at this rather clinically, meaning we're just, we think about the policies. Uh, there's obviously a lot of discussion over, over what policies are necessary, but the, the policies that the, what the CDC has recommended and the majority of states has adopted is that if there's someone who catches COVID, if the people around them are wearing masks, you're going to have much lower quarantine rules than if they're not. So, for example, when school started this year, there were states that allowed districts to, to be mask optional. So you had students and potentially probably staff showing up without masks. And then in those situations, when there was someone with COVID, you had a lot more people quarantining. The ratio was eight to 10 to one. You have like 50 COVID cases, five to 600 quarantines. Now in places that were following CDC guidelines and masks were being, and those are places following the CDC guidelines, but no one was wearing masks. In places uh, that were following the CDC guidelines and everyone was wearing masks, your quarantine levels would be much lower. So the stress on the system would be a lot lower. So that's one of the, so this, 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 the mask policy as it relates to quarantining, it's a little wonky, but it's really powerful. Basically, our point of view right now is that there are lots of states that are offering flexibility for districts not to have masks. But if those states and those districts are using the CDC guidelines, meaning, hey, if nobody's masked, they're much more likely to have to quarantine, that's almost untenable because it makes it much harder to keep the school district open because of quarantine levels. On the flip side, there are some states, Texas, Florida, Iowa, South Carolina, that say, listen, quarantine rules don't need to change just because someone's wearing masks or not. Basically, if you're sick, stay home, get tested. And so, so, so those places Obviously, in some cases, they ban mask mandates, they allow flexibility, whatever, but they're consistent. So that's like the opposite type of consistency, meaning they don't care whether masks are in the equation or not. They treat quarantine the same. And then you've got the other side of it, which is that, hey, if everybody's masked. So those are the two ways in which schools can stay open consistently. If you're stuck in the middle and you're penalizing uh, people who aren't wearing masks for the purpose of quarantining and you have people running around without masks, that's going to be the tricky part. So we see a bit of that being an issue early. 
And then, frankly, over time, depending on how fast COVID spreads, the whole mask exemption, it may not be enough to keep, which is what we call the, which is what we refer to this whole idea of you're not wearing, you're wearing a mask, you don't have to quarantine. It may not be enough to keep schools open, but for now it, it appears to be working. You've got states like California that have been open for a while that struggled last year to keep schools open that are doing, they're doing much better this year and they have this mask exemption and all the schools are, uh, Mass exception, sorry, and all of the schools are uh, are mass required. So that's so. There's a lot, a lot of that. That that is really what's going to drive the policies. The other thing I'll add, and I don't want to, is testing. The more you test, the more cases you're going to find because you're going to find asymptomatic cases. So depending on the districts, what will play out is some districts who are doing more what you would call surveillance testing, meaning everyone has to get tested a certain amount, whether or not they have symptoms, those places may end up discovering more cases and setting this whole quarantine in motion than other places. Again, we're not taking a position on what's right or wrong, but the level of intensity on the testing side could also be a bit of a factor as to how schools are operating in terms of how, how what the percentage of a person is. Yeah, and I mean, Dennis, you raise a good point because you know, when dealing with a pandemic of this nature, it can't really be one size fits all. But I think we're finding in a lot of cases, it is one size fits all. So it's like, how do we distinguish between the, you know, asymptomatic, you know, cases versus the ones that we think about who will require uh, perhaps hospitalization, um, you know, at some point. So I, I think it's, um it seems to me to be a tricky, you know, balance for what schools need to do. Do you see it that way also? Well, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we, we, in terms of how the policies are playing out, state and local health departments will have a different, it, it's a bit of a continuum as to how to treat, how to treat COVID testing. All, everywhere that we can see COVID tests are available. Like if you're if you're feeling uh, not feeling well, you can either get tested in the school or nearby, and that's available. And frankly, that's that at the end of the day, that's kind of what's that's the by far the most common situation. There's some cities. L.A. is a, is a big one. Philly is another. I think New York has announced they're going to do 10 percent of the students every week, some number like that. There's some of the bigger districts are saying they're going to do sort of proactive testing. And that is going to be going a bit deeper. Certainly at the end of the day, the role of testing is really important. I did highlight, you know, hey, if the more you test, the more you're going to get asymptomatic cases and maybe you're going to create situations that wouldn't otherwise exist. And that is a policy discussion that local health departments have to make because the flip side is, no, you want to catch those cases so you don't have a problem, right? But I will say one area where it's pretty consistent, where we, where we would see this heading is, the ability of people who are put in quarantine, regardless of how they are put in quarantine, regardless of the whole mask or not masking, the ability for them to be able to take a test to prove they don't have COVID and get back into school quickly. That is an area that's kind of still ginning up, if you will. That is, the expression is test to stay. You know, I'll make this up. Let's say you have a district. Let's say you have a student who has COVID and they identify six close contacts, but the close contacts don't have symptoms. 
Well, under one circumstance, they'd have to go home for five to seven, uh, go home for 10 days. But if you, you might offer them the opportunity to test, some places are testing five days later. And if they're still safe, they can come back. I've seen one or two where they can come back. They just need to test every day or something like that. So there's various ways to handle that. So there's a lot of layers and a bit of nuance in this. But the general principle of we, where we see over the course of the year is trying to people, allow people to test out of quarantining is going to be a very big uh, uh, trend. Yeah. So in, ter- in terms of trends, Dennis, you know, you've given a lot of great information and we are running short on time. But in terms of, you know, what you, you know, have seen and what the trending will be from fall to winter, do you, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, it's very, I compare this to driving in the fog. You can't go, I'll use a little pun for the bus stop crowd here, but right, the, the, you can't go too fast. <laughs> you can't make too many predictions because you don't know what's beyond the fog, right? So COVID behaved seasonally last year. And it's not because I, we sat around and measured COVID rates. It's because we measured whether schools were open. And we, so we do expect to see a winter, there's a winter flu season that has always existed, and that's when COVID may reappear in the Midwest and the Northeast. What is that going to look like? We don't know. And that is going to test the system that is currently September. It was a very good time to open schools last year, and we expect it to be a good time to get schools open this year in large parts of the country. Not so much the South, but the South will shift, and and you probably see it's starting to subside there right now in terms of COVID. So there's a seasonality element that we just kind of saw happen. So that we, we expected the system to be stressed a little bit. We think it's set up to be handled with the tighter quarantining rules or, or rather more specific policies and also the ability to test. But we see that as being, as being sort of the looming issue. And, you know, what will happen as the year goes on, I, you know, as you see, the, the, they're, they're starting to recommend boosters for people after six months. Again, not because of, not necessarily because of hospitalization, just because of the ability to catch COVID. Will that affect school systems as the year goes on? Because because you're going to have a, had a lot. I mean, obviously, the focus for policy right now is on the unvaccinated. You had tens of millions of people who got vaccinated last fall, last spring rather, and they're going to pass that six and eight and ten month mark of having been vaccinated as the winter head. So so we're always kind of looking at that. That's really far into the distance, though. Uh, but we do we do think that that's probably the looming issue as to what how how the mitigation factors and how the school openings will will be handled if there's a spike in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great thoughts there, uh, Dennis. Now, Verbio is a subscription service. And actually, I, I thank you for all the information that you're providing. I, I find it very helpful to allow you to keep doing what you're doing. It's a subscription service. So Dennis, if people are interested you know, in finding out more about it, and more about Verbio and, and what you guys do, and perhaps purchasing a subscription, where can they find you? Well, two things. My email is Dennis with two N's at Burbio.com, B-U-R-B-I-O.com. You can also type Burbio School Tracker into Google and our school tracker will come up, which has my contact information and a blog you can sign up for. We send out a weekly digest with lots of information around trends and some numbers around school closures. We have a very cool map. It shows where schools are closing across the country. 
that we're going to be continuing to iterate on that can help people get ahead of it. So it's Dennis at Burbio.com or type in Burbio School Tracker on uh, in the in the uh, in search and you will find us. Great. Once again, our guest this week at NSTA, the bus stop, Dennis Roche. He's co-founder at Burbio, and that's a data service for school and community life. So, Dennis, thanks again for joining us at the bus stop, and I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Good luck this year.